Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, this is Deborah, Guilty Feminists. I wanted to let you know that we are back live at King's Place on the 31st of January, the 14th of February, Valentine's special, but obviously Guilty Feminist Twist, and the 21st of March. Book now for those shows to make sure you get tickets. If you missed out on my stand-up show, I'm doing it next at WOW, that's the Women of the World Festival, at the South Bank Centre on Saturday, the 12th of March. If you're in Dublin or you can get to Dublin, we are at Vicar Street on the 14th of March. Alison Spittle and I will be back for a Guilty Feminist there. Can't wait. And very excitingly, our UK tour starts on the 5th of March in Brighton. Then we go to Nottingham, Oxford, Bath, Cambridge, Northampton, Liverpool, Sheffield, Stratford, Reading, Canterbury, York, Birmingham, Cardiff, Newcastle, Manchester, Glasgow and London. And it finishes on the 1st of October. So check out the website for all of those shows and for dates when we're coming near to you. That's guiltyfeminist.com. Please come. We're so excited to be able to see you. Bring friends. It's going to be a wonderful time. We will also be in Australia and New Zealand in July. We are coming to Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, Brisbane and Canberra. And we're also coming to Wellington, Christchurch, and Auckland. Get your tickets now because Grace Petrie and I are on our way. And you can find ticket links for all of these shows in the podcast show notes or at guiltyfeminist.com. And now on with the podcast. I'm a feminist, but today's episode is via Zoom with people from very far away on a different time zone. And I was slightly disappointed to hear them say, as I was getting my tech ready, um, sorry, just got to get our fangirling out of the way. Jess Foster Q, you're just amazing. <laughs> and then the fangirling did seem to be out of the way. That was it. It was just done sort of then. And there was no fangirling yeah. for me. And I was like, wow, wow. Oh, no. Jess is just I like, think you're, I think, I such think a if anything, now. the fangirling required for you is so intense, no. it's intimidating. I don't think that's like, what's happened at all. 
I don't it think is. That's I'm, a, I'm an I've got an approachable level of profile. Are you, is however, that what's I, yeah, that's Have exactly what's Madonna? happened. Have I become Madonna? No, no, you're in the fast lane, Jess. That's what's happened. I don't that's think so. Happened. I think what's happened with you is, did I ever tell you what happened when I met Dawn French? <laughs> no, go on. I was so in awe and impressed. I went too far the other way and was fucking rude. Oh, did you just not say, oh, Dawn, so wonderful to meet you. You just went, you just No, just up. surly in the corner like that. <sighs> Because you too cool. was too scared of being yeah terrifying over the top, and then um, <laughs> later I was, we were acting in the same thing, and I had a fictional son, and she came over and said, "Do you want a toffee?" Because obviously she's always got a bag full of Cadbury's eclairs in her handbag. Yeah. She's doing <laughs> French, yeah. and she said, "Do you want a toffee?" And um, the kid said, "Yeah," and I went, "No, I'm all right, thanks," and like rude again. Oh and then God. I went, "Oh, um, actually, um, actually, don't I've changed my mind." <laughs> which was eggy in itself. And then she gave me a toffee and then um, it's just a normal, really bog standard toffee. I was going, oh God, this is so nice. That's, it's actually one of the nice, it's bloody one of the most nicest toffees I've ever had. Oh God. God. Oh toffee. God. And I couldn't, I couldn't oh. stop talking about the normal toffee as if it was a magical toffee for so long. Eventually I just had to physically remove myself. I walked away and left her with a child actor that was it, under my look, charge. It can happen. It can happen. I'm a feminist. Um, but Debs, why has no one ever sent me a dick pic? <gasps> no one. <laughs> ever. It's no one's ever sent me a picture of their willy that I haven't asked for. And or that I have. Um Do you watch mm, success? I'm not sure if the last thing I said was true. But I've never had an absolute classic dick pic. An unsolicited I've never had dick one. pic. No. And it's a, as I understand it, it's the other pandemic. I'm told it's absolutely <laughs> rife. I'm told it's, there are people in, there are women in comedy, so it's not the comedian thing. There are women in comedy receiving more than one penis a day. Oh, and no. that's awful. Nowhere near one a I day. I don't get any. And I don't want any. It's not an invitation. No, but no. there's a man, I got an, what I get is, I had an, did I tell you this? I had an email from a man called Tony instead that says, um, I've written a short film. I think you're quite funny. I'd like you to rewrite it so it's funnier. I need to talk to you today or tomorrow. I've got £40. Um, and I find that so insulting that I'd actually rather see his horrible penis. I hear that. I do hear that. There's nothing worse mm. than, can you rewrite my short film for 40 quid? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I get that kind of thing as well. Susie would come and I I'd even have rather it. have seen his testicles. I, I See, I would not have rather okay. seen it, but I do understand the, I understand the, the, the motive behind that sentence. Yeah. Because yeah, Susan and I talk about it sometimes that we're like, we don't obviously want this. We don't want it. We definitely don't yeah. want it. And it's awful that it happens to anybody. Yeah. But it's weird when some women we know get so many unsolicited pictures. And if we don't get yeah. any or hardly any, we start yeah. to feel a bit like, what's wrong with us? Isn't that terrible? Yeah. But it's true. Yeah. I do feel sometimes a bit, am I not somebody you want to see your exposed penis? Did you watch Succession yeah. this week? No, I'm two series behind, so I'm afraid we're not allowed to even go there. What a shame, because there would have been a great dick pic discussion there. Um, okay. I'm a feminist, but I don't know what I want. And I genuinely yeah. am struggling to know what progress looks like for women during late stage capitalism. Yeah. I, 
I sometimes think, well, do I want this for my career or do I want this for the world or do I want this for women? What do I want? I mean, probably what I should want as a real feminist is for everyone to slow down, for us to consume a lot less, do a lot less, and for nobody to be very successful for a thousand years. That's probably Mm. what we should want. Of course, redistributing who makes the decisions would be good. But also, like, at the moment, the way everything runs, power and success in this system, I'm just looking at it going, I've forgotten what feminism's for. (laughs) I genuinely don't know. I sort of know, but some days I get confused. Yeah, Is that anybody else? It's impossible to navigate that. In, In all of the things we're told to do to be better versions of ourselves, there is an impossible to fathom boundary of where you ruin it. Like self-care, I think, often meets up with vanity and fucks. Like how can you know where those boundaries have blurred and always get that right? I feel that also sometimes now this whole self-care thing, which obviously we should self-care. This is not anti-self-careness, but sometimes it's just like, don't do anything for anyone else ever. Set your boundaries and have self-care. And I'm like, yeah, but also... I want to be a good friend and I want to be a good daughter. And it's okay to sometimes be like, well, yeah, I really want to do that for that person. So I'm going to be really tired and I'm going to yeah. care for them before I care for myself. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, can I'm we go not- back to self-care? Just meaning like a bath a week and loads of wanks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you go back to that. That was clearly some cast iron definition for you. At a period, yeah, previous period. That was 2007's. So, <laughs> definition. 2007, yeah. Yeah, good times, uh, disturbing times. Okay, yeah. Say I became very successful and that women in comedy were allowed to be as successful as the most successful men in comedy. The most successful men in comedy are on private jets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It gets very confusing. Because I'm always yeah, on WhatsApp does, groups where women are like, I notice that men are getting more. And I'm like, sure, but maybe sometimes the more is bit too not much. good. Yeah. yeah. Not that I yeah. don't want, not, I don't want gender disparity, but also I'm, I, I just get confused about what we're meant to want and do. That's all. Yeah. I'm a feminist, but um, even if a brand or company are out and out murderers run by the most, like the worst, most evil men, I will cry at their Christmas advert. (laughs) It's so true. Do you know, I think sometimes, not all time, but sometimes the most sociopathic companies produce the best Christmas advertisements because they know how to... 100%. Push push your buttons and pull your strings, my friend. Do you know what I mean? They are the ones. Because it's a bit like if you meet a sort of you know, one of those narcissists who love bomb you or whatever, mm. they know how to push all the buttons. I'm just saying, this ad is beware of people who can make you cry in their ads. I'm a feminist, but I've, I just said it weird. I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist. <laughs> I'm a feminist. <laughs> but I've accidentally taught my six-year-old son quite a vicious line of passive aggression. And I, I found myself feeling a modicum of pride. Oh... I thought what we'd do this year was splash out, throw a bit of money at a situation and get him an advent calendar that involves a small toy 
every day. Yeah. It's a Playmobil one. Right. It's all Christmassy stuff. The seventh was Santa. I think it's cool as shit. I thought I'd be very grateful for that and we'd get over the small but intense and unhelpful mania caused by a bit of chocolate first thing in the morning every day Mm. before school for a month. Right. So fine. That happens. He's not unimpressed with it. Too bloody right. It was really spendy. But every day there's been a different, really beautifully phrased comment. Along the lines of, oh, I just was going to play with my toy and I, I, I'm so sorry. Like, I was just about to play with it. And I just, for a second, I forgot that it wasn't chocolate and it was a toy. Oh, wow. <laughs> Every day, several times a day. And I, rather than being like, you shit, I'm like, crafty. Wow. Really nice. Yeah. Really Impressive. nice. Impressive. Complex person you're becoming. Do you think... If he could have chocolate instead of the toy, even though the chocolate's gone and the toy lasts, he'd have the chocolate. Yeah, he's my son. (laughs) (laughs) Also, sugar when you're a child is drugs, isn't it? Chocolate particularly for him has always had some kind of kryptonite effect. There's something to do with the cocoa, the caffeine and the sugar. Mm. Sugar alone is fine. White chocolate, fine. There's something to do with milk chocolate or dark chocolate Mm. that just it's momentary now what I've done is microdosed him into a higher tolerance wow (laughs) but but, um, parenting's weird I don't don't want it to be like an allergic reaction for his I don't want it to ruin his childhood chocolate's delicious but even you know they're quite big the chocolates in advent calendar now and it's enough for him to be a little bit of a weapon for 15 to 20 minutes which in the rush of a school readying morning is unhelpful unnecessary you could yeah. do you could do the advent calendar in the evening, or is that is that not uh, you? You feel like you would never get almost worse actually if that's just before bed. Yeah, it's a bit like I don't really know what I'm hoping feminism achieves in late stage capitalism. Parenting similar, isn't it? You're not sure what yes. you're trying to achieve really. Sometimes no, is it just trying to get them to be alive? Is it- it's an easier life for me, but that doesn't sound very feminist, does it? <laughs> Maybe it does. Maybe that's self-care. It all comes back down to that. Yeah. Resimplify self-care. And then where do we end back up in Victorian times? Don't we like, you should be seen and not heard. What an easy life those parents had. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest guys Jessica Fosterkey, with our very special guests, Lexi Seedhouse, Greer Ford-McNaughton, Roxy Corvers, and Vivian Chandra, talking about power through movement. Oh, yes, please, power through movement. Yes, yes, yes. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists, the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is Jessica Foster-Q, and we are talking about power through movement. Um, Jess Foster-Q, before we bring our guests on, your life has really changed through your commitment to movement. Um, Yeah. And I see you all the time on the socials lifting things that are bigger than you. The problem is now I'm worried I prefer PE to comedy. Oh, I'm not good enough at it to transition career-wise, but you're right. Do you I, prefer it to comedy? No. <clears throat> really? No. Mm, I don't know. It's complicated. Some days. I love how it makes me feel. And I have found a type of move in my bod I've absolutely fallen in love with. Um, I feel grateful and privileged. I think what's interesting about it is 
it looks like I'm doing all that stuff more. I've been doing it for a while. Um, I've just, I made a deal with myself quite recently in the grand scheme of things to post more videos and pictures of myself doing things. Um, because I thought actually my reasoning behind not doing that wasn't very feminist. So I upped my feminist Ooh. game and decided to post a lot more weightlifting and other fitnessy bollocks that I do. On no, the, it's not on bollocks because it really inspires me. Um, what I was going to ask you is, as a challenge for this episode, could yeah. I come to your weightlifting gym with you? And could we film? Yes. Could we record like radio? Me learning to lift things. Yes, because I've no upper body strength to speak of. I mean, I have some, obviously, because you know I have yeah. arms and stuff. But uh, it's, <laughs> I've seen you. Pick I up look a like drink. a big strong girl, but I'm really not. So what I'd love to do is come and record me learning to lift anything. I mean, anything. Beautiful. And um, it would I could be do this little, like, my you know, little ones pleasure. above my head like that. But that's a strict press, Deb. So you've mimed there. Beautiful. <laughs> Have I? But I want to do one of the ones that you do where you kind of put like a barbell like in a cartoon. Like you go, ooh, ah. But I won't be able to do that, will I? (laughs) Do you, what Olympic lifting you want to go at? Like a clean and jerk. I've just seen you do stuff like that. That's very technical. You pull buses as well. Look, I will be happy to do whatever you want to do. I can't arrange a bus, Debs. But I can, I would love for any excuse for us to go to the gym together and to show you. Okay, great. Some, if I do that, would you come and learn a little bit of a tap dance with me? I'd love that. I will would be you? shocking at that, but I would love to give it a go. I'm prideless. Okay. I think one of the most joyful bits of a getting older is that, well, the older I get, the less I care. I don't care if I cock something up, I'll give it a go. Like, I don't feel like there's anything to lose I feel like a teenager I'm now finally at an age where some teenage girls could be like <laughs> oh my god in the corner and I'd be like fuck yourself I'm having a great time I think that's one of the great things about like I don't know just I don't know I don't mind anymore so I will give it a go I would be terrible at all dance well I'm excited because the worse you are at tap dance the more confident I'm going to feel about not being able to weightlift. So yeah, fine. if you could, even if you are accidentally good at tap dancing, if you could pretend to be a little bit less good than you are, that would be helpful for me. Otherwise, I'll be intimidated. Okay. Well, I'm going to make you feel terrible by saying I'm prepared to be terrible at the dance. I would also love it were you to find yourself incidentally excelling at weightlifting. Oh, you are a much better feminist than me right there. <laughs> well, what you're going to learn is it's actually embarrassingly simple. I don't think so, but I am excited to find out. So we're going to swap as a challenge for this episode. We will swap the things that we've done through lockdown and around the last few years to find ourselves physically. For me, it's been dance, some ballet bar, um, some tap dance, some jazz, some like I say jazz, like, you know, show tunes. Um, We could do a little bit of Chicago, something like that. A little bit of jazz. Do you enjoy musical theatre, Jess? Um, I God, a nearly wife I don't want to upset, so I'm going to say I've got a mixture of feelings about musical oh, theatre. I just love it, just love it, love a bit of musical theatre, love a little bit, a little bit jazz hands. Mm. You know how I'm, I'm mimed weightlifting. Can you mime jazz hands yes. just so we can see what we're looking at here? Okay, that's <laughs> you, that's not jazz hands. That's waving. Yeah. Jazz okay. hands is like that. Okay. It's not just waving. It's like that. 
There we go. There we go. Already, already. They need to be a little bit more open. A little bit more open. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's good. It's coming already. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah. So we have created a brand new podcast from the House of the Guilty Feminist. It's called Media Storm. And Matilda Mallinson and Helena Wadia are two professional investigative journalists who are finding stories and giving voice to those who are asked last and often never by the media. So please check it out. It is really something that every single feminist ally and activist should be listening to. The episodes so far have been such incredible quality. There's four episodes waiting for you now, which you can binge and more coming out soon. Here's a trailer. Drug like body shame. Criminals. Refugees. That. Crazy. Rape survivors. Vagrant. The homeless. Have you ever noticed that certain groups are spoken about in the media all the time, but never spoken to? Or maybe you haven't, because it's so damn normal. Media Storm is an investigative podcast from The Guilty Feminist that starts with the people who are normally asked last. We've already heard revelations from refugees, Asian minorities, sexual violence survivors and transgender people. Our next guests take us into their worlds of prisons, sex work, drugs and homelessness and onto the front lines fighting fat phobia and ableism. I'm Helena Wadia. And I'm Matilda Mallinson. And next on Media Storm. If you tell somebody their whole life that you're no good, what happens is they believe it. It is disgusting the way they treat people. He said, and I quote, I was fat. All they tell me is what's wrong with me. I don't know any different. So they wheeled me out in my wheelchair. I was just left there to die. Become abusive yourself. Needles were being pushed in like more roughly. I was being handled more roughly. He said that I got myself into this because I opened my legs. I kicked <laughs> off like a wild animal because they put me in the shower, six of them, cold shower, washing me, scrubbing me because I was dirty. The MRI scanners aren't big enough for overweight people. I've struggled to get officers to speak on the record about what goes on in prison. We're literally not allowed to. Advocates do not need to be a voice for the voiceless. We are empowered. We are Stop magic. Stop gatekeeping. Stop censoring people. I would love to know why the media asks the CEOs of a homeless charity anything about homelessness. I feel really um, invisible. Is the media reporting on or creating the crisis? Plot twist. <laughs> it's not, I don't wait for the mainstream media to do anything. Drug like criminals. That crazy. The homeless. Hear our stories. We are the ones who have lived this. Our lived experience is leadership. We are the experts. It's really simple. Just just present both sides of the story. Follow Media Storm wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get access to new episodes as soon as they drop. If you like what you hear, share this episode with someone and leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps more people discover the podcast and our aim is to have as many people as possible hear these voices. You can also follow us on social media at Matilda Mal, at Helena Wadia and follow the show via at Media Storm Pod. Also get in touch and let us know what you'd like us to cover or who you'd like us to speak to. Media Storm, a new podcast from the House of the Guilty Feminist, is part of the ACOS Creator Network. It is produced by Tom Zielinski and Deborah Francis-White. The music is by Samphire. 
let's meet today's guests. Yay! Yay! Lexi Seedhouse, great name, is the general manager of Shift Foundation. And she previously managed two nonprofits and led development programs with women and young people in five countries. She is joined by her colleague, Greer Ford McNaughton, who is passionate about the power of movement to change lives and feels privileged to support young women as they develop a lifelong love of movement. And from Kia Hamaru, we have Roxy Coavers, who you can find producing or performing in LGBTQI plus drag and cabaret shows. And her colleague, Vivian Chandra, who is a tech consultant and is currently doing a PhD looking at sexuality and relationship education in Aotearoa schools. Hello, gang. Hi. Kia ora. Hello. Oh Hello. <laughs> so, first of all, Lexi. Kia ora. And Greer. You're from the Shift Foundation. Could you tell us what the Shift Foundation is, please? Yeah. So, Shift was um, founded in 2016 by our amazing founder, Frank McEwen. Um, and it started as a physical activity intervention to improve the well-being of teenage girls. But it very quickly shifted when we realised that physical activity wasn't the kind of one solution to enhancing young women's well-being. Because we work with young women experiencing um, some really complex challenges. And, you know, if a young woman's boyfriend's being abusive or someone's contemplating suicide or... You know, if they're a teenager looking after young children themselves, then telling them to go for a fucking run just isn't going to work. So we know that physical activity will make people feel much better and we see the huge value in movement. But it's just kind of one small part of the whole picture in the way that we build resilience for young women. And there's a there's a really useful um, Māori health model for understanding holistic well-being called Tefari Tapufa, which kind of describes health and well-being as a whare nui, which is a, a Māori meeting house. And kind of each of the walls of the house um, symbolises an aspect of a person's well-being. Mm-hmm. So there's um, spiritual health, mental and emotional health, uh, family and social health, and then physical health. And I think there's actually a fifth one now that's the, um, the belonging or connection to the land. And so the idea is that if kind of one of the facets of well-being or one of the walls is missing or damaged, um, then a person or collective can become unbalanced and unwell. And so that really underpins a lot of the work that we do. And we try and work in all of the ways to well-being, but really at the core of everything that we do is just fun and joy and sisterhood, but we call it shifterhood. (laughs) (laughs) So can you just say the five things again that we need to balance? Because I'm sure I'm not balancing five things. I definitely not. (laughs) Spiritual health, Mm -hmm. uh, mental and emotional health, family and social health, mm-hmm. physical health, mm-hmm. and then our kind of connections to the land or our roots or our belonging. And it's kind of like, you know, I like to think of it as like a, you know, a stool. And if you've got one leg that's wobbly or missing, it's not a stool anymore. You can't sit on it. It doesn't work. It's just the same with humans. We're, we're not, if we're out of balance, then we can mm-hmm. become really unwell. I'm making a note of these. Yeah, I think we should. Because <laughs> also... Uh, we some can of email that, you the diagram. Get it bloody down. That would be great. Oh, it comes with okay pictures. So remember, <laughs> some of our listeners might be thinking, "Oh, well, I am physically unwell, or I am. I do have mental health problems. I'm on a lot of former Jehovah's Witness groups because I am a former Jehovah's Witness. A lot of people have been shunned by their whole family, and there's nothing they can do about that. No one in their family will speak to them ever again, and they're just out on their own. So, 
if one of those is lacking in your life, because there's nothing you can do about it, that's how you are and that's how you live. How does this philosophy factor that in? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so we kind of, um, we use it to inform our human-centered design. So we take first and foremost the principle that young women are the experts in their own lives. We never come in with an intervention that, you know, we know what will work best for them. The first thing that we always do when we work with young women is just meet them where they are. And we have um, a kind of suite of programs that we will offer, but everything that we do will be co-designed alongside the young women and they will tell us what their needs are. And we constantly shift to meet their needs. So we've got a few different core programs, which are... um, you know, a physical activity program, a leadership program. We have a program specifically for Māori young women to connect them back to their culture. Um, and we also have a mental health program. But these can be kind of anything depending on what the young women want. So like, for instance, in our mental health program, which is called Shift Your Mind, they will ask us to do sessions on uh, like tattoo care and uh, how to cope with anxiety and how to adult and consent and how to talk to their parents Um and healthy conversations with adults. And so there's so basically we just meet young women where they are and always acknowledge them as the experts in their own lives. Mm, interesting. So if Amazing. some if one part of your life is for whatever reason a struggle or a challenge for you, or you know, it's it's something you live with and you have to manage, can these other four elements or three or however many elements that you can maybe drive and control, can they somehow make up for? Yeah, no, I know. But I mean, if say if two of them, say your parents, you don't say you don't have any family for whatever reason, and you're really struggling with a long-term health issue that you have to live with and manage. Can these other three, what I'm trying to figure out is can these other three in any way compensate for these other two? And is that why we nurture or nourish them? Or are you in some way going, well, say you came and you didn't have any family, this could operate as a way of you uh, facsimiling family or family structures? Yeah, exactly. So we could create the family for them. So we would be the sisterhood or the shifterhood. And um, any kind of element that feels like it's a bit wobbly or a bit unwell or a bit lacking, we would grow that with the young women. If they didn't have mm-hmm. family or whanau of themselves, then um, the group would become their family. It doesn't need to look a particular way. Um, It just needs to be kind of bespoke for the needs of the young women that we work with. And Gria, when young women turn up, like what age groups are you dealing with here? Gria, Timmy, go for it. On it. Um, So we, there's quite a range really. We define um, young women as sort of 11 all the way up to 24 um, and what program they want to do, all that kind of stuff really depends on them. So like Lexi said, it's it's hard to explain what we do because it's whatever any individual young woman wants us to be. We're like little shapeshifters. We're moving to become whatever they need in whatever capacity. Um, so yeah, t- 11 to 24-ish. Um, some of our programs like um, Fanaki Otikopara is just targeted to that kind of older demographic to kind of really take advantage of that leadership position that they're in working within, you know, often sport and recreation and play or health kind of promotion. Um, I think it's also worth noting on Hawata, the model Lexi's talking about, that it is a Māori model of well-being. So we're 
in New Zealand, it's pretty common to kind of use and reference, but also just acknowledging that um, that Māori people have a lot more knowledge and expertise in that area, and we're just very kind of privileged to be able to borrow it and use it um, and take their guidance and how it fits into our work, but um, definitely not our number one expertise. <laughs> so it's something that you work with Māori people on to use this model. Do, do you get lots of Indigenous young women coming to the programme? We get quite a lot of um, targeted funding to work with Māori and Pacifica youth. Um, the model itself, it's quite mainstream in New Zealand. So there's lots of different Māori models of well-being and ways people look at mm-hmm. things. So Kata and her program uses a specific one that is escaping me. Lexi, you might remember it. Um, but it's it's the one that's like taught in schools now. So I remember going through school and you sit down in health class and this is kind of how they all map it out for you. So it's pretty common these days. Um but it's just the one that most people seem to find kind of aligns to their values and is quite well known. So we can go into schools or work with young people and they kind of already have an idea of what we're banging on about. We're not coming in with a completely new model to try and teach them and be like, can you also learn six pages of notes about this brand new thing? <laughs> and then we'll talk about your well-being. It's they've already got that insight going in. Right. So it's already something that's kind of established in New Zealand or Aotearoa. We don't really have that much to hear, Jess, do we really? Because Britain no. doesn't have that same indigenous model i mean we'd have to look at beowulf um which (laughs) frankly doesn't have those value sets um i suppose we've got bodicea in terms of feminism but it's not it's not like bodicea left us with five abiding principles that allows us to be more balanced in ourselves and in our sisterhood um it's it's uh it's 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 slim pickings what is what i'm saying here so i think it's something we could really learn from you did you have anything like this at school, Jess, or after school? No, I don't feel like this is something that was uh, happening in any schools in the UK. Certainly not in the eighties and nineties. <laughs> it was yeah, there was physical. It, it was a lot of pressure to, to make sure you looked after your physical health. But I mean, we've come on leaps and bounds, even in terms of the uh, focus in primary education here on family and social health, what a good relationship looks like. And that's all changed in the last 24 months, hasn't it? A bill's been passed to acknowledge that kids might be from a a massively diverse number of different family households, that their families all might look really different. But no, an emotional and mental well-being, the fact that some schools here now have got counselling involved, like a school counsellor, that wasn't around when I was growing up at all. And then I don't know, I think spiritual, no, not unless you're at a religious school. Do you think this would have benefited you as a child? Because I think it would have made me enjoy moving more because I did not enjoy moving as a child. And I don't just mean Mm. in terms of the, you know, formal team sports. I did not enjoy moving as a child, full stop. I wanted to eat cake and lie down. Uh, the only thing I enjoyed doing was dance. Um, but then yeah, I only great. did that for a couple of years. And then, I don't know, it was on the wrong night or something for my mum, you know, to I was doing Girls Brigade and other stuff. But I should have kept dancing because I did not like moving. How do you get young women and girls to enjoy moving if they don't? Because I think there's a lot of in this world that is about girls not sweating, girls being demure, girls not, you know, mm. running really fast and looking like they're enjoying or throwing themselves into it and they want to, you know, that the world around them tells them they need to be cool and they need to be look look like they're posing for an Instagram photo. 
Yeah, totally. Because we, we know that young women drop out of sport and physical activity because it's too competitive and it's masculine and, you know, their bodies change and they have lots of complex things going on in their lives, which is why we kind of do physical activity by stealth. Like, you know, at the heart of everything that we do is fun. And so, you know, we might take a group of young women um, out ice skating or we might take them for a walk to get an ice cream. And yeah, they're going to feel much, much better for moving their bodies. But really, it's about... Um, hanging out with a supportive group of young women and creating a sisterhood and connecting with our amazing youth workers. And, you know, it's about the ice cream and the vibe and the falling over and maybe yeah. like a sense of accomplishment, but it's definitely about the fun. And it's mm. all of those things together that are going to make them feel better. And that's how shift sees movement. So all young women need, need improved mental health, um, but not all can or want to move their bodies. And so that's why, you know, we see movement as being part of the puzzle, but first and foremost, it has to be fun. Mm. That probably would have helped. Lexi's bang on around the whole like sisterhood moment. Like really what it is, is creating a safe space first and foremost. I took a bunch of girls over last week out to Adrenaline Forest, which is like a huge treetops climbing course. We spent the day before doing like team building and getting to know each other. And then we went to Adrenaline Forest and I was talking to one of the girls and um, she was talking about how she was so glad that the boys weren't there because they would have been like, oh, you suck, hurry up, like keep moving. And she was like, it was so nice to be like in an environment where everyone wanted you to do your best and it didn't matter what you looked like or how fast you went or whatever it was. It was, you had yeah. that safe kind of community backing you up first and foremost. So the movement didn't have that pressure on top of it. Um, can I just check you said the place was called Adrenaline Forest. Adrenaline forest, yes, and boy, oh boy, yeah. is it spooky. If you don't like heights, <laughs> yeah. I was on the ground like looking up at everyone like, go guys, I'm so proud of you. That's a, it's an absolutely great name for a festival, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sheep yeah. Cool. forest. Yeah. Totally. Should we invest now? I'm later? scared of height. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to bring Roxy and Vivian in here because I want to know what you two do and how this might play in in a complementary way, because you're also based in New Zealand. What is it that you're doing? Uh, kia ora koutoua, uh, ko Roxy Corvus, takawingoa, ko Kaiarahi, or Kia Homaru, personal safety education. Um, I am the Kaiarahi, or manager of Kia Homaru, personal safety education. And Kia Homaru is a comprehensive wraparound program that empowers our participants, in particular young girls, women, and persons of other marginalised genders, within an intersectional feminist framework using physical activity and um, consent and education. It's girls and people of minority genders that you cater to, too. Lexi and Greer, do you include young non-binary people? It tends to be often um, case by case. Um, not as in that people will just come up to us and say, hey, I really want to be a part of your program, but I... I might identify as non-binary or I'm kind of questioning my gender identity. Can I still rock up? And the answer is always yes. <laughs> so I have quite a few um, young people that don't identify within the gender binary in our programs. Great. We also have specific gender um, non-binary groups for non-binary folk who want to be in a safe space with um, other non-binary folk. Great. So Roxy, what happens in your say I was a young person who was in I was in New Zealand and Maybe I'm I'll 
maybe I'll jump in here because I'm I'm one of the Kayako teachers that's in um that does the courses. Great, Viv. Um, thank so, you. Yeah. So I've been I've been doing um the courses with Kiahomaru for quite a few years now, and um just um I guess you can add in. So we teach like kids from seven um up to I think I wrote a little note up to uh, literally no upper limit um and so a lot of our kayako teachers um are the same I mean we don't have seven-year-old teachers most of our our youngest teacher we're probably something. <laughs> good to know <laughs> uh so you never know if you were running a loom band making course yeah, some of them are true. incredible at that <laughs> Um, so we we were founded in the 80s um, looking at this um, societal attitudes to abuse and looking at intimate partner violence. Um, so in the 80s, we sort of looked at more that kind of older age group and we've moved, we've moved in. We're doing a lot. Um, our sort of bread and butter course, you would say, would be our 11 and 12 year olds in the schools. Um, and it's I, I hate that word holistic, but it really is. <laughs> it's this like super mm. wraparound course where it's all about the corridor, the talk around um, what it means to be safe. And so um, we will teach some physical moves. Um, uh, some people call it self-defense. Uh, I don't like that because then it's kind of puts into your mind this like gigantic six foot two dude with like a shoulder that's twice as wide as his hips um telling you how to like punch someone and that's so not what we do because uh the listeners won't be able to see me but I'm not a six foot two dude um but I can punch someone if I need to and what we do is I'm feeling relaxed we're on zoom now Viv now you've said that so much confidence (laughs) just the way you smiled when you said it honestly (laughs) I mean Deb, you're coming to New Zealand soon, so um, I'll show you. I, I can take you to um, some of the things that I do and show you how to punch really, really hard. So. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> it's lovely um, of you to offer that, but you need to be warned, Viv. It's kind of you to offer that. She will then make you go tap dancing with her. So <laughs> bear that in mind. Um, but, yeah, so then what we do is we wrap that around um, all of the um, – like trying to increase that self-talk amongst themselves so one of my favorite things that we do and I do this even with my adult courses is right at the beginning we ask them to choose a name that they're going to be using for that course so we call it their brave name and I've got this giant a3 sheet full of adjectives and they're all sorted by alphabetical order so then you can be like I can be my one is always vivacious Vivian um, and they're all strong brave um, and there's a mix of te reo Māori as well as English in there and it's to really reinforce because then every time and we get them to write it on their little name badge so then you know you could be like jubilant Jess um, or like daring Deb and then I will refer to you as that throughout the whole course and so I'd like to be daring Deb for a full course yeah I'm into that we can call you daring Deb for the rest of this call if you want I'd love that yes please (laughs) are you happy with jubilant Jess (laughs) Or would you like something Fine. else? Yeah. Do you want? Do you like jubilant? Um, yeah, I do actually. I'm in a good headspace <laughs> to be jubilant for this entire call. And you're um, vivacious, yeah. Viv, and that's your brave um, name. And so it, the reinforcement of that adjective just allows you to be a little bit braver when you learn these physical skills. Yeah. So, like one of the games that I play with some of the younger kids, for example, it's um, 
oh, I can't remember what it's called when like kids play it at school, but basically you have to split them into three. And um, instead of like using like one, two, three or ABC or whatever, I use brave, strong, clever. And so then there's team brave, team strong and team clever. And that's like all of our um, talk around our course is, is to reinforce that. Um, and it's really because to refer back to what you said earlier, Deb, um, about how that's sorry that's of, daring um, deb if you don't mind daring sorry, sorry. Yeah, daring deb. <laughs> i mean you literally just gave me that name don't take it away don't take it away yeah, yeah. you've just given so it's been a tough year i'm feeling too fragile i don't want i don't want any fragile thoughts as why i want to be daring deb i'm, ju- I'm gonna we'll change take, you in we'll my phone that. right now deb <laughs> if you could that'd be helpful um and change your photo for like linda carter or something Yes, I have got. Yeah. There is a picture of me in a Wonder Woman costume, um, yeah. because I, we once did a night where we were coming as uh, feminist icons, and I have got a great picture of me dressed as Wonder Woman. I will be digging that out for my daring Deb, uh, awesome. my daring Deb week. Um, so, vivacious Viv, sorry, you were telling us when um, I interrupted. Yeah, so it's just that all the all the games that we do um, and everything, like all the stories and all the like, um, I weave a lot of real life stories of success into my course um, just to show the kids that um, that I'm teaching or adults, depending on where I'm at, um, what, uh, like that the stuff that we're teaching them works. And um, one of my favorite, favorite stories of all time actually has nothing to do with physical defense at all. And that really reinforces um for the participants, what um, what it means to break the narrative on um, intimate partner violence or uh, physical violence at all. Amazing. So this is when girls are young, and your and people of minority genders are are young, and you are having that conversation so early, and also giving them physical training within that conversation, which is really interesting because you're skilling them in any number of directions and you're asking questions that I think are not normally asked in society, especially not of young female or non-binary people. And we're providing options to them as well that are not normally provided to um, the young young kōtero, young girls, young women, adult women and persons of marginalised genders where... Um, for people who already have violence or abuse in their lives, we're empowering them with the the tools and the, the knowledge and the support that they need to be able to break those intergenerational cycles of abuse for themselves or to imagine a different outcome for themselves. Um, quite often on our courses, we will take disclosures of abuse, uh, particularly from the younger children, so from the seven and eight-year-old girls and the uh you know, the, the teenage girls that are still in secondary school. And we do have quite a high proportion of disclosures of abuse, um, many of them quite serious, that come through. Uh, so then we we take on those disclosures and we work with the students and with other agencies to resolve these issues, to get the girls the help they need and to help them change their own future and show them that, you know, this isn't normal, this isn't okay, and even if it has been normalised in your experience, in your lifetime, it's not normal or acceptable in society. So we provide them with the tools they need to be able to lift themselves out of those terrible situations, which I think is another really unique aspect of what we do as an organisation. That's absolutely brilliant. And Kia Hamaru has been going for over 30 years and has equipped 
468,000 individuals, nearly half a million, Ooh. with life-changing empowerment and safety education skills over that time. That's incredible, absolutely incredible. And wow. the Shift Foundation, what kind of geographic spread do you work over? How many young people do you have coming to you, Lexi and Greer? So we are based over the Wellington region. So that is um, the capital city where I work and live all the way out to the Wairarapa. So we're broken down into six kind of little pods. Um, and that just really allows us to really target the needs of those communities. So, for example, Upper Hutt, which are a little bit up north for me, are a lot more kind of that shift your mind, mental wellness sort of things. Whereas in the city, we have a lot more kind of demand for that kind of physical activity support. So just being mm. split up across six mini regions inside one big region um, allows us to kind of reach people in different ways. Although we do often team up with um, people like Sport New Zealand who look after the whole country to deliver things like the Women and Girls Summit, which is, wow, technically international, um, kind of bigger picture mm. events and things. Um, in terms of numbers, really depends on the year. Uh, Lexi probably has a better overview with her managery hat on in terms of specifics. <laughs> um, if we're, but- yeah, if we're talking about like um- – because we have a whole bunch of different prototypes as well. And so one of the ones that um, we launched during the first round of lockdowns was um, a podcast called The Conversation Collective, um, which Gria can talk about in a second because she was the host of the podcast. But uh, the reach of that alone is like, um, I don't know, like 10,000 people or something. So we have a whole bunch of programs, some of which are national, some of which are regional. I'd say we probably reach, mm. I don't know, like maybe ten to 15,000 young women a year. Amazing. That's incredible. You're all doing absolutely extraordinary work. So if you are Mm. in New Zealand, these are both organisations that the young uh, girls and people of minority genders in your lives could access. Um, So look them up. And if you are not in New Zealand, but you think these sound like phenomenal things, Google what's available in your territory. And if nothing like this exists, why don't you start it? Or in fact, campaign a group that's already doing similar things or your council to start something like this, even locally, even if you started it with uh, 10 girls and people of minority genders near you, it'd be really worth doing. And I'm sure it would be worth looking on the Kihamaru website and the Shift Foundation website uh, for some ideas. They will both be in the show notes. Now, is there anything else, Lexi and Greer, that you came to say that you did not get to say? Uh, Yeah. So I guess like many organisations all over the world, COVID-19 has really increased uh, the numbers of people needing our help and decreased our ability to um, raise funds. And, you know, being a teenage girl in Aotearoa is generally hard anyway, but COVID's made it much harder. Um, And of course, pandemics disproportionately affect women and girls. So we recently launched a crowdfunding campaign to raise funds to support 3,500 young women's mental health over the next year. And we didn't quite make our target. So if anybody would like to donate, um, you can go to www.shiftnz.org and give us your money. How much money do you need out of interest, Lexi? How much money do you need? How much money do you need? I don't so think there's going to be enough to limit, Debs, is there? No, but yeah. is, there a mo- is there a sort of... You know, we need this to keep going. Do you have a sort of yeah? Goal? We I think we we were about five thousand dollars, which is only two thousand five hundred pounds short. So 
So maybe Anything. one of our listeners in New Zealand mm. who's listening to this might just give you that, and then everyone else should put in, a, you know, between ten and fifty dollars. So if there's anybody in New Zealand who thinks this is just so wonderful, we don't want our country not to have this, who's got five grand, and that could be your company doing some corporate responsibility. It could yep. be you think, especially if you've had a deceptively emotive Christmas advert out. That's exactly right, and you've got some guilt to appease. Exactly. There. It could be that you work for a big accountancy and you think, yeah, we sure we could scrape up five grand. Or it could be that you work for a decent sized company where you could go, look, we're going to do a quiz. It's 10 bucks to do the quiz. And then, you know, we're going to pass the hat around or something. We like have a talent competition at work or something for the Shift Foundation. And you could raise that in one go. And it's a, it's a really lovely win to do something like that because you go, we personally have kept the Shift Foundation going. If a few different companies did that, the Shift would be really able to do wonderful things and not just be keeping their head above water, but they'd actually be free to swim and even build a small boat. Uh, so really, if you could, if you're from New Zealand, you could do that. Uh, or if, if you're not, but you just think it sounds like a great thing and something you wish you'd had as a kid. Gria? Um, yeah. So of course, follow us on Instagram um, at Shift Foundation NZ. There's always good things bipping and bopping along there. Um, but I think also from like a bigger picture perspective, our kind of key message or takeaway is just like really listen to young people and empower young people <laughs> and especially young women wherever you can. Um, be nice to a young woman in your life. That's always a win. Um, that's what we always say. If you can't like chuck us any cash, like maybe, I don't know be nice to someone you know um so really just that take home of listen to young people they they know what they want they know what they need they just need a bit of support to get there and if you can offer that please do um and yeah great and roxy and viv Brilliant. is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say do you need money so two things uh, I'll let Roxy talk about money because she actually works for us. <laughs> um, uh, two things. One thing is that um, with the relaunch of our website, which happened uh, just before this all actually is going live, um, we've put up a whole bunch of public courses. So I'm talking about this fictional thing in the future, which hopefully happened. Um, <laughs> and so uh, yeah. if you're living anywhere in Aotearoa, you should be able to find one of our courses and join. And we're going to try and keep the price as low as we can, just so that um, we can get our message out there. Um, and this kōrero, which means to talk, the um, the stories that we, we tell um, as far and wide as we can. And then the other one is, I didn't, I'm a feminist, but, and I'd like to do it, especially. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this goes all the way back to the beginning when Deb was real sad that, sorry, daring Deb was really Thank sad you. that um, we didn't fangirl her, but I mean. my I'm a feminist, but is, <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I feel too geeky when I reference bell hooks. I rather reference Deborah Francis White. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, I am flattered beyond belief. That's so much oh, better. Than the yes. word of a lie. I did not make that up for this. I literally said it on a WhatsApp group <laughs> to one of my other friends. Like. Three weeks ago. And I yes. can I just say yeah. if I am the poor woman's bell hooks, I will <laughs> the accessible bell hooks, I will be delighted forever. Yeah. And I didn't really mind that you found girl just I love I found girl just foster cue as well, and I'm delighted that you did. <laughs> Uh, it was just when I heard, I was off, I said, I'm just going to get my fangirling out of the way. And I was like, oh, 
Jess Foster Q, you're amazing. And I was just like, oh, okay. It was a bit like the moment Jess Foster Q didn't get a dick pic. Um, <laughs> uh, but thank you. And I will happily be the accessible, less intellectual Bill Hooks. Bill, Bill Hooks. Bell Hooks. Yeah. Bill Hooks, my favourite. You just my, called Bell Hooks Bill Hooks. Bill Hooks, my favourite. <laughs> Bill Hicks. Yeah, my favourite yeah. comedian. <laughs> Bill Hooks. Bill Hooks. Um, Roxy. Is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? Absolutely. I always have lots to say. Um, <laughs> firstly, if, if you are a school, community organisation, NGO, governmental organisation, literally anyone in Aotearoa and you want to access our fully comprehensive, specialised blend of personal safety education, which covers off physical techniques and um emotional harm reduction and education. We talk a lot about consent and healthy relationships, all that good stuff. Please check out our website. We have free and accessible courses. We run for year school ages, year 7 to 8, 10 to 13, women in tertiary institutions. We have kura kaupapa, Māori uh, courses, which are delivered fully in te reo on marae and we have uh, specialised disability courses. We have specialised rainbow courses. We have migrants courses. We have specifically written course content to help empower and ensure the safety of every wahine in Aotearoa. So I'd just like to encourage anyone who'd like to access that free and empowering education to please hit us up on the website. We'd love, love, love to have you along. The more women and persons of marginalised genders that we can be in contact with, the safer of a country we have here in Aotearoa. Uh, the second thing I wanted to speak to is, of course, Putia money. Um, as an NGO, we are funded tenuously by the government, um, by charities, other charities, lotteries, commissions. Um, we're, we scrape and we do what we can. Uh, the impact of COVID, not only on the the levels of intimate partner violence and generalised violence in Aotearoa towards women, we've seen the, the rates of violence have absolutely skyrocketed over the last sort of two years. And that demand has outstripped our funding completely. So once again, if there's anyone out there who has any has any change rattling around that they want to see go <laughs> towards helping improve the lives of women and children in Aotearoa, then please send it our way. We'd be more than happy to take that. <laughs> and if your school could do a fundraiser, if your office, your company could do a fundraiser, if your book group could do a fundraiser, if your WhatsApp group would all go, yeah, we'll all chip in, you know, 10 bucks or something, that would make an enormous difference if all the listeners of The Guilty Feminist in New Zealand did that. Um, and can they can they check out your website to find out how to donate? Yes, absolutely. We'll have full donation links and all the information on there. Um, it's going to be a brand new website, which will be launched by the time this goes to air. So we'll be www.kiahaumaru.org.nz. So that's spelled K-I-A-H-A-U-M-A-R-U.org.nz. Great. And check out the show notes if you want a direct link. Otherwise, give it a Google and I'm sure you're going to find it. It'd be great if from this podcast uh, we could raise at least $5,000 for each of these brilliant organisations that are doing so much for girls, women and people of marginalised genders in New Zealand. It's really wonderful stuff that you're doing. You must have all have very fulfilling really lives. Uh, you, you've re really got a reason to get out of bed, haven't you? No, I'm not saying I'm looking for a reason to get out of bed. I'm just saying what's it like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Mm. 
I'm kidding. Of course I have. <laughs> and uh, also, Roxy, when I'm over, I'd love to see you do some yeah, LGBTQ plus drag <laughs> and cabaret shows. Yeah, I uh, pre-COVID, I worked a lot with the local queer community here in Te Whanganui Atara, Wellington. Um, shout out to Ivy Bar for hosting all of the queer cabaret shows that I used to produce. Awesome. Obviously, um, we've had to take a little bit of a step back from that. Um with the the COVID situation and whatnot, but the performing arts must go on and I'm looking forward to getting back into it as well. So. Do you reckon they'll be back by July? Amazing. Because Grace Petrie and I are coming back out in July and last time we were in Wellington, we had the best time. We'd no, either of us ever been there. We walked into a oh. lesbian bar and they said, your money's no good here. We weren't allowed to pay for our it's drinks. absolutely Ivy Bar that you went to. Was that the must Ivy Bar? Be. Yeah, we, it's the it's really the only queer bar here in Wellington. So. Okay, that was the one we went to then. <laughs> Deborah, if I... If I do like a beginner's guitar course, could I maybe come? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you want to do a duet with Grace yeah. and tour Australia, I can do the this. triangle. Um, yeah, uh, listen, these these yeah. are all good suggestions. Listen, if you learn to tap proficiently enough that you can tap to black tie tonight, I would be I would feel really wrong not bringing you to Wellington to go into all the Got it. to all the lesbian bars for free. And by all of them, I do mean that one. The, the that one. one, yeah, that one, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, we had a great time in there. But the only thing was, and this is a bit of I'm famous about, it was some kind of teen karaoke night, clearly, because everyone was really young. And Grace and I sat as far away as possible because we didn't want to look predatorial in any way because they were so young. Grace was like, no, we can't. No, 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 no. no. Like, we need to be in our own corner. Um, just the paranoia that we had because they were so sweet and so young. But it was, yeah, it was, it was really, really fun. And um it turns out Grace Petrie and I are quite big in Wellington. It was very surprising. I thought you were going to say which karaoke song you absolutely smashed. We Grace Petrie and I, it turns out. Amazing. I love angels instead. Yeah, simply the best. No, we didn't we didn't disrupt. They were they seemed like children to us. They were so young. Okay. They were high schoolers and Got imagine it. us going up going it's our turn. Um do you have, I think someone did I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It, which Grace was <laughs> slightly critical of. Okay. Yeah. She was like, well, let's think about the message of that song, et cetera. Uh, but the children didn't Got it. care at all. They were just very having a wonderful time kissing girls and liking it. And you couldn't have blamed them. <laughs> Taste of the cherry chapstick, et cetera. Yes. Um, <laughs> You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest guys Jessica Foster-Q, and our very special guests, Lexi Seacast, Greer, Ford, McNaughton, Roxy Coavers, and Vivian Chandra. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Salinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craftman, Gina DCO, and everyone who made this happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and give us five stars, and visit guiltyfeminist.com. there is that your office well, it's very oh, it's beautiful i was genuinely oh, I was upset the whole sheep. thing going viv it's got a very swanky <laughs> home or office and then i saw your arm flicker and was like oh, I, I it's think, a facade ah it's a green screen Fine. i do a lot of teaching online and last time i didn't put it up, um someone told me i looked like i was filming an al-qaeda video oh <laughs> God. Wow. Well, I see why you did the green screen office now. Yeah. yeah. Fair play. Sure. Absolutely fair play, yeah. Absolutely. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.